0: I bring you greetings from uh, Believer's Fellowship, the church I get to pastor in San Antonio, Texas. My wife and I have been missionaries to Texas since 1995. Uh, We went through language training and everything, uh, and we're fixing to return there uh, this week, but we're really glad to be here. Last Sunday, uh, we were in Boise, Idaho for the... Yeah. Yeah. First service of Compass Bible Church, uh, Treasure Valley. I, I'm out to collect all the Compass Bible Church pens from all the different <laughs> churches, so I got one from Treasure Valley, and uh, that our youngest son Ben is get gets to pastor that church. Uh, we're we're really thankful for that. We're great to be here. I got to spend some time with the men up at the at the camp uh, this weekend, and now to be here, we're just so thankful. Uh, for the opportunities that the lord gives and so thankful for the lord's goodness to me and my family and my relationship with the lord began uh, about 45 years ago it was in march of 1974 i was a freshman in college and i met a man named dennis saffold and dennis told me the gospel and god saved my soul and that was an amazing meeting for a number of reasons it was from human perspective a random meeting i was just sitting around and he was just looking for somebody to talk to and he happened to talk to me but before that time i had never gone to church i did not grow up in a christian family i had never read the bible i had never heard the gospel i did not know a christian and so dennis i meet dennis he tells me the gospel and he knew all of this uh, as he started off because uh, he had talked to me a little bit and asked me some questions to find out my background. But, and so when I responded to the gospel, and he told it to me that first time, he thought, this guy doesn't get what I'm talking about. This just doesn't happen. First time this guy's ever met a Christian, first time he's ever heard the gospel. It doesn't, it's not that easy. And so he said, let's meet again Tomorrow thinking there's no way I'm going to show up the next day, thinking I'm going to walk away and think this over and decide, yeah, no, I'm not so sure about that. But I did show up the next day. And my question for him, my one big question for him was, can I be a Christian and still play golf? (laughs) Because let's get serious, that's why I'm at this college, to play golf. And, And I said, because golf is the very most important thing to me. And he said, well, you can still play golf, but God has to be most important to you. And I said, okay. And he's still thinking, this guy just doesn't get it. You know. So he says, let's meet again tomorrow. And I said, well, I can't meet tomorrow. I've got a doctor's appointment, but I'll meet with you the day after that. And he goes, okay. So the next day I had that doctor's appointment and uh, I had some pretty serious pain in my knees at that time. I had just grown seven inches in three years. And so I had some pretty bad tendinitis uh, happening in my knees. And actually, that meeting with that doctor was kind of uh, the beginning of the end of my pursuit of a golfing career. And so I have this doctor's appointment. I go back the next day, meet with Dennis, and I told him about the doctor's appointment. And now he's starting to think, maybe, this, maybe God did save this guy. <laughs> he got bad news related to golf, and he still showed up. Maybe this is for real. And it was for real, and actually, we kept meeting every day for about three months, because I didn't know anything, and he was teaching me uh, those first three months. And we were able to meet again here just recently, three months ago or so. We were able to get together. I think we have a picture of that meeting. There we are. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good. Really? And so that could be a great encouragement to, to you to evangelize, uh, who knows, when you think about what's happened from that one meeting, uh, that, that should encourage you to want to tell the gospel to anybody that you can too, because you never know what, what the Lord might do. But all of that to say that when he began his gospel presentation to me uh, that day, his opening line was, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life have you heard that line before yeah and and it used to be pretty common that was a way to introduce the gospel nowadays it's not so common because people have abused the the doctrine of god's love and and so when you say god loves you who knows what the person is going to be thinking about Uh, in our day people think that god is love and that's all god is and god's love means he tolerates everything and accepts everybody and so now you know we kind of shy away from opening up with uh, the love of God when we talk to people about the gospel and I get that I understand that perfectly but here's the reality I'm a Christian because God loves everybody who's a Christian is a Christian because God loves uh, John 3:16. for God so loved the world or you could translate it this is the way God showed his love to the world he sent his son so that everyone who would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life everybody who is a Christian is a Christian because God loves and I'm kind of on a little bit of a mission to reclaim the biblical doctrine of God's love and I'm hoping that some of you will jump on the bus with me uh, after this service as we think about God's love uh, here together and, and you know he said God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life I don't think wonderful is a strong enough word to describe what God has done uh, for, for me love is a powerful motivator I mean even on a human level people who are afraid to fly will get on a plane and fly across the country because a loved one is sick and needs help that their love will overcome the fear of the love motivates them uh, to do that. And knowing that God loves us is a powerful motivator for us to live for Him. You think about the, uh, the uh, Apostle John, who four times in his gospel referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, that's the title he would choose for himself. Hey, I'm a disciple that Jesus loves. And he's not trying to say that he's the only one that Jesus loved or that Jesus loved him more than anybody else. He's just saying, I'm amazed that Jesus loves me. I'm a disciple that Jesus loves. And he was just blown away by that reality. And he wrote a book, uh, 1 John, a little letter, 1 John. And I want us to take a look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. So if you'd open up your Bible, 1 John chapter 3, and, and verse 1. And while you're turning there, I'll, I'll just say, I'll just quote to you from Ephesians two four that tells us that we are saved because of His great love with which He loved us. His great love with which He loved us, and that's what John's going to describe for us. That great love in First John chapter three verse one. So you can put this down for number one uh, on your uh, little handout there. We want to behold God's great love behold god's great love because that's what john's calling us to do he, he says there in first john 3 1 see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of god and so we are and we're just going to look at that little half of a verse there for for a few minutes and behold god's great love and i, I just want to unpack everything that john squeezed into that that one statement there and help us think about God's love and let's begin by just considering the love's magnitude he says see what kind or behold what kind he's wanting to draw our attention to this he's got something important he wants to to show us and he says what kind of love and it's it's kind of hard to translate that some some versions say how great how great behold how great the, the God's love is for us. The Father's love is for us. Uh, other words that you could use there would be amazing or wonderful or beyond description. Uh, Ephesians 3.19 says that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. And that's what John's kind of getting at here. He says, see, what what kind of love is this? This is a, a foreign love to, to humankind. This is a love that comes from God alone. This, this love is so great uh, that it's hard for us to even describe. Um, and, and we've tried in some of the songs that have been written, a lot of really great songs have been written about the love of God. And there's one song, uh, just simply titled, The Love of God. And there's one verse in that song that has some of the greatest words in all of Christian music. It says this, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, Were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? So just think about the picture there. Every ocean is filled with ink. The sky is a huge parchment. Everybody's got their own quill, and you're dipping it in that ocean of ink and writing on this parchment in the sky. And he says, if that's the case, he says, To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. So every person writing on this parchment about the love of God, that uh, we would drain the oceans dry of ink, and we still wouldn't say it all. That's how great God's love is. Now that's something we need to talk about. That's something we need to rejoice in. Now see, if I was in Texas, they'd be like hooting and hollering by now. But... Uh, But I understand you laid-back Huntington Beachers. Uh, That's that's cool, bro. That's cool. (laughs) The magnitude of God's love. Let's let's go further here and and consider love's origin. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Where does it originate? It originates in God Himself. Uh, The origin is the Father it's his love it comes from him it's a part of his character Uh, chapter 4 verses 7 and 8 if you just look over there it says beloved let us love one another for love is from god and whoever loves has been born of god and knows god anyone who does not love does not know god because god is love god is love and again down in verse uh, 16 it says so We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. God is love. It comes from Him. It's part of His nature. It's just who He is. And it's not caused by anything. He's not responding to something by loving. He loves because that's His nature, which is so different from us. I mean, I, I love you because of what you do for me, and if you stop doing for me, I stop loving you. That's, that's how it works at the human level. That's not the way it is with God. He loves because that's his nature. He, he, it says God is love. That's his character. That's something we should be talking about. That, that's something that we should be proclaiming, that God does love. God is love and it's even more amazing as you continue on in that verse not only to consider the origin we can get that we can understand that that's god's character and so he loves because that's who he is but look at love's objects as it's given to us here in the verse see what kind of love the father has given what's it say to us see what kind of love the father has given to us we're the objects of his love that's an amazing thing yeah, and again, if you look over at chapter 4, at verses 9 and 10, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we loved Him, but He loved us, and He sent His Son. You know, that day I wasn't sitting around thinking about how I could love God. That, was, that would have been the last thing I was thinking about. But God loved me. And, and, he's, and the message to me was he sent his son to be the propitiation for your sins. Now, see, our, our sins create a problem between us and God, create a separation between us and God, and those sins deserve God's wrath. Uh, They deserve eternal wrath because we're sinning against an eternal God. And, and, And we deserve to perish. But God sent His Son to be the propitiation, meaning He took the wrath upon Himself. He satisfied God's wrath when He died in our place so that if we're in Christ, all of our sins have been taken away. They've all been covered. God's wrath has been satisfied against us Forever, all of our sins are forgiven forever, because Christ, the eternal Savior, made an eternal, uh, a sacrifice of eternal worth to satisfy the Father. That's amazing that God would do that, because we are unlovable to God, but His love is immeasurable. I, I love the way the Apostle Paul kind of personalizes uh, God's love for him in Galatians 2.20, which I think Bobby might be preaching on here coming up pretty quick, Uh, but Galatians 2.20 Apostle Paul says it like this, I have been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, listen to this who loved me Gave himself up for me. I mean, that's amazing that he would love me and love me to such a degree that he would give himself up, take God's wrath in my place. He'd stand in my place and save me, give himself up for me. We're the objects of God's love think about the greatness the magnitude of his love you think about the origin coming from god himself and then you think about the objects being us you know we just sang about amazing grace that saved a wretch like me are you a wretch they saved a wretch like me and there's another song uh, how deep the father's love for us which says how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That's amazing truth. That's exciting truth. And, and there's even more. Looking at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Well, let's let's mine out another gem here. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Let's talk about love's permanence. Has given to us. Has given. If you have your Greek New Testament here with you this morning, and you happen to be one of those grammar nerds, you'll notice that this is in the perfect tense, which means he sets his love on you and at one point, and it goes on forever. He loves you eternally. It's permanent love. You get eternal life, not probationary life. Where, you know, if you keep your act together you'll make it to heaven no it's eternal life and it's a permanent love that secures it Uh, turn back with me to romans chapter 8 just for a minute and let's see a statement there about the permanence of god's love for us this love that he has given to us romans 8 and verse 35 Here's the, here's the question that the Apostle Paul is putting on the table at, at this point as he writes the book of Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, that, that's the question. And, and that's, a, that's a practical question. As a pastor, I've talked to a lot of people who, because of the circumstances in their life, are wondering if God really loves them. And so Paul's asking the question, well, is there something that could separate us from the love of Christ? And then he gives a list of contenders in the verse. He says, Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, for the Apostle Paul, that list is not hypothetical. That's like an average week in the life of the Apostle Paul. I mean, tribulation, persecution danger sword that's those are real things in his life and he's and he's asking the question are these the kind of things can these circumstances can they separate us from the love of christ verse 37 the first word what is it no no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who what loved us isn't that good we are more than conquerors Whoa. All right, there's this thing called timing. Uh, <laughs> appreciate the enthusiasm. I'm feeling like I'm at home here. Where was I? Oh, yeah, more than conquerors. Hooper nike is the, is the Greek word there. Hooper is we get hyper or super from it. Super And the nike, that's what you're wearing on your feet, the Nikes, the victors, the conquerors. We are super victors. We overwhelmingly conquer. It's not like we barely win in triple overtime. No, we we win outright because of Him who loved us. Because of Him who loved us. And he goes on to say in verse 38, For I am sure, I am sure, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news. That is really good news. And that's that's the statement of security. I am secure because of God's permanent love for me. And so I can say confidently that no matter what happens today, I'm still going to heaven. Amen? that's the that's where we should be hooting and hollering yeah no matter what happens today i'm going to heaven because of god's permanent love for me in christ jesus now uh, there's more let's go back to first john 3 1 Let, let's mine out one last gem here from this text it says see what kind of love the father has given to us and and here we're going to see love's achievement here's what it achieves That we should be called children of God. And so we are. There's love's achievement. We become children of God. We were children of the devil. We were children of wrath. Now we are children of God. And this is so good, so hard to believe, that he has to add in there, and so we are. And so we are. That's what God has done for us we were his enemies we have no claims on his love but by his great love he has made us children of god and so we are we should talk about god's love we should proclaim god's love Uh, we we need to meditate seriously on god's love Uh, you you want to spend some time just thinking about what God has done for you in showing love to you through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not enough just to consider uh, the greatness of God's love. You, You can sit around and think about it, but God's love demands a response. It calls for a response. It's not something for us just to think about. It's something for us to respond to. And so let, let's look at what is really the only one right response. And it's found in 1 John four nineteen. Very simply, it says, we love because he first loved us. So let's put that down for number two, respond to God's great love. And I think you've got some verse numbers next to line number two. Does, do you have that on there? That's a scribal error. Just ignore that. Uh, it's but because we're looking at the response here is to love him the response to his love is to love him and and Peter puts it together like this in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8 he says it like this though you have not seen him you love him and though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So here he's he's making the connection between loving him and believing in him. And he's equating those two things. To love him is to believe in him. To believe in him is to love him. And so when you're talking to somebody and you can ask them, hey, do you believe in Jesus Christ? They might say, yes, oh yes, I, I believe that he's the son of god who died for our sins and then the next question you could ask is well do you love him because if you really believe in him you will love him you will love him is that you here today are are you just believing in him or do you love him you love the lord jesus christ love the person not just believe the information about him but you actually love him the person because that's the one right response to god's great love for us and to help us understand that a little bit i want to look at some examples uh, from the new testament and so turn with me to mark chapter 10 mark chapter 10 and for i guess a uh, sub point a there you can put well, let's learn from biblical examples and i want us to look at one in mark chapter 10 it's starting in verse 17 this is the Story. It's a familiar story. Uh, We refer to this guy as the rich young ruler. Uh, We know he's rich because that's the point of the story here. Uh, We know from other the other Gospels he was a young man, relatively young man, and he was a ruler, meaning he was a ruler in a synagogue. So, for this man, a ruler in the synagogue, part of the religious leadership in Israel, for him to come running up to Jesus and say what he says. Uh, this is pretty remarkable, actually. So let's start in verse 17 there. and It says, He was setting out on his journey. Jesus was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you just stop right there, you think, Man, that, I wish people were doing this to me. Saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, what a setup, right? And, and this guy... He didn't just kind of casually walk up to Jesus. He ran up to him and he knelt down before him and asked him the question. And, and Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone." Which probably kind of threw this guy back a little bit. He he doesn't really know who he's talking to. But then Jesus says, "You know the commandments: Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal." Do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, what's it say? Loved him. Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me now that's a good deal get rid of all your stuff which you can't take with you anyways get rid of all that stuff I'll give you treasure in heaven and you get to hang out with me for the rest of your life that's a good deal but this guy wasn't taking it this is a man that Jesus loved and this is an offer that Jesus and his love is making to this man treasures in heaven but it says in verse 22 disheartened by the saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions verse 23 and jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of god and the disciples were amazed at his words and jesus said to them again children how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of god It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Which is good news for us. But here this rich young ruler, whom Jesus loved, whom Jesus offered eternal life, to whom Jesus offered treasures in heaven, to whom Jesus offered a relationship with him, this man would not do it. He would not respond in love to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loved his stuff. He loved his possessions. He wasn't going to let go of his possessions. I'll follow you, I'll go to heaven, if I can hold on to my stuff. Uh, that's like a lot of people today Uh, they they want to go to heaven but they want everything that the world has to offer them and so they're like sitting on a fence with one foot in the church and one foot in the world and the reality is they can't enjoy either side because they know they should be all in with the church but they can't because they got one foot in the world and they and they can't really enjoy the world because they know that they really shouldn't but that's where a lot of people hang out that's where this guy was hanging out he's a well-intentioned young man comes up to Jesus he wants eternal life he's a moral man when Jesus says here's the commandments and he says hey I've been practicing those since I was young he, he, so he's well-intentioned and he's moral but he won't love Jesus because he loved his stuff he loved his stuff and that's a constant warning that we see in the new testament for example in john chapter 3 the chapter right after it says for god so loved the world it talks about why people don't respond in love to him in verse 19 john three nineteen, it says and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil God in His love sent the light into the world. He sent the light of the world. He sent Jesus Christ, His own Son, into the world. And, and people seeing the light are, are making a decision, yeah, I don't want to go into the light, because why? They love the darkness. I'm not going to love Jesus Christ, because I'm going to love the darkness. I love my sin. There's some sin I am not going to give up. And so I'm not going to come to the light. I'm going to love my Sin, Love my sin. And you see, this is the the real question. Uh, The question is not, do you want to go to heaven or hell when you die? Anybody that's thinking is going to say heaven. But the real question is, do you want heaven or this world? Do you want heaven or your sin? That's the real question. In Matthew chapter 6, part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 Jesus said no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money can't do it cannot serve God and money uh, that's the issue. What are you who are you gonna love? What are you gonna love? And, and see, Dennis Saffold recognized the issue for me was what are you gonna love? Are you gonna love golf or are you gonna love God? What are you gonna love? That's the real issue. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John just says it straightforward like this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So here's an example. Jesus encounters this young man, gets off to a great start, seems like, and Jesus loved this man, but this man wouldn't love him. So it's a a failure of a meeting because when it came right down to the issue... He would not love christ he loved his possessions more and that's a common thing you you can think of uh, judas Uh, judas one of jesus's disciples he was the treasurer we're told in the the gospels he was the treasurer for the group he carried all the money and he used to help himself to that money he was to him it was all about the money it was all about what he could get out of this thing and he thought jesus is going to be a king and i'm part of his cabinet this is going to be great i'm loving this but then he realized uh uh-oh jesus is actually going to die and there isn't going to be any kingdom right now this is not what i signed up for i got to get something out of this and so he went and sold jesus for 30 pieces of silver that's what he loved he loved the 30 pieces of silver more than he loved jesus and so he sold him out uh, we're told in 2 Timothy 4.10 about a man named Demas who was a part of the Apostle Paul's missionary team. I mean, not just everybody gets to be on that team, right? He's a part of Paul's missionary team, traveling around, planting churches, doing all that. And, and Demas, uh, at one point, bails out. In fact, in 2 Timothy 4.10, it says, Demas has forsaken me. He's, he's left me in the lurch. He, he's, he's hung me out to dry because he loved this present world. See, for some people, like Judas, Demas, they'll go along for a while. But for some reason, maybe things get too hard, or things aren't turning out the way they thought they were, they will bail out and, and go back to what it is they really love. And it's this world. This is the issue. What? Who are you going to love? In, in this example, it, it was a failure by that rich young ruler well let's look at another example in luke chapter 7 luke chapter 7 and and in this story we encounter a pharisee Uh, the other guy was a rich young ruler he ruled in a synagogue we're not told too much more about him than that but pharisee well we know what a pharisee was like Pharisees were very religious. Pharisees were the Bible, the conservative Bible believers of their day. Uh, they believed the Bible, they studied the Bible, they knew the Bible, and they were very serious about keeping uh, what the Bible said. In fact, if a Pharisee walked in here, you might think that they're a pretty good guy because he's serious about the Bible and he knows the Bible. In fact, if a Pharisee walked in here, um, my guess would be he would know the Old Testament better than anybody in the room. That's how serious uh, they were. But let's look at what happens at the home of a Pharisee in this account, starting in verse 36, Luke seven, it says one of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus to eat with him, And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And and here's one of these great lines in the Bible. This is Pharisee. Who did he say this to? Himself. And Jesus answering, Jesus knows what he's thinking, Jesus answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both who even forgives sins and he said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace there again you see the connection between love and faith in this woman but let's think about this pharisee uh, here for just a minute we're told in luke 18 9 that the pharisees trusted in themselves and looked down on others is that what this guy's doing Exactly what this guy is doing. They trust in themselves. They trust in their goodness. They trust in their religious activity. They trust in their knowledge of the Bible. And they look down on people who aren't as good as them. And there's an awful lot of people in an awful lot of churches that are like these Pharisees. They think they're the good people and the other people are the sinners. And they look down on them. They have no interest in evangelizing them. They look down on them. And that was a problem when I went to our church in Texas. Uh, Don't tell them that I'm telling you this. (laughs) But uh, when when we first got there in 1995, people in the church there were acting like they had done us a great favor getting us out of California. And they would even say, bet bet you're glad to be out of california and i said well why why do you say that they go "Uh, that that place that's that's under satan's control that sin trap there in california and i said well have you ever been there oh no why would we go to that demon infested place and i'd say okay but see that's the attitude we're the good people they're the sinners And we don't even have any interest in going there because they're the sinners. We don't hang out with sinners. We're Pharisees and proud of it. They trust in themselves. They don't see their need for forgiveness. One of the hardest things about being a missionary in Texas is everybody thinks they're a Christian. So you have to start off your evangelism by saying, No, you're really not a Christian. Let me tell you what a Christian is, which isn't the easiest way to start your evangelism. They don't see their need for forgiveness. Uh, They see other people as the sinner, not themselves as the sinner. Are you a sinner? Because those are the people Jesus came to save. They don't see themselves as sinners. They, they love the praise of men. They do their religious activities for the praise of men. Jesus ripped them for that in Matthew 23. They love the, the chief seats you know, at the banquets. They love being called rabbi. They, they love being recognized for, for who they are. And you know, all of this religious stuff on the outside can't control the desires of their hearts. And so in Luke 16:14, Jesus says that the Pharisees were lovers of money lovers of money and in john 5 42 he says i see that there's no love for god in you be very religious to take the bible super serious and have no love for god so here in this meeting this guy invites jesus to his house but it's evident that this guy has no love for jesus and he sees no need for forgiveness now the contrast here is the woman who, we don't know her name. she's just the sinner And I think that that's good because then now we can all relate to her. She's the sinner and she demonstrates what it is to really love God. And so let's let's talk about that let her be there you can put down know or practice the biblical pattern of love and we see it in this woman. You know what you can say I love God but you don't get to express that love any which way you choose to do it Uh, you love him according to the way he has laid out for us to respond in love and the reality is a lot of people they can go to church and sing the songs really loud and think that they're showing love for god but the reality is you can sing songs really loud and not love god at all so look at what it looks like here Uh, this woman uh, just notice some characteristics about this woman and how she shows love for God. She's humble. Wouldn't you say that? Uh, she's she's bowing down before Christ. She, she comes in, and, and I mean, she learns that Jesus is there, and, and even though it'd be to- very awkward for her to show up at a Pharisee's house, she goes anyways. And, and she's there, and, and she is at his feet and she's wetting his feet with her tears and she's wiping his feet with her hair she is just so overwhelmed that there is a savior that loved her and came to save her and she is humbled by that reality people who love the Lord demonstrate it by being humble towards him they are just so thankful, so overwhelmed. Oh, let me wash your feet with my tears. It's a, it's a humble response. Uh, and, and also you can see it's a sacrificial response. Uh, she brings this alabaster flask of ointment uh, to anoint his feet with. I mean, that, that wasn't cheap. Uh, that, that cost her a considerable amount of money. And when it says that she was a sinner, most likely that means she had been a prostitute. And so this ointment was part of her business. And now she's given that all up to worship Jesus Christ and to express love to Jesus Christ. She's been forgiven much, and she knows it. And so she loves much. She's willing to sacrifice anything. She's willing to deny herself and give it all up to show love to the lord jesus christ the one who saved her this is what the rich young ruler would not do but she's willing to give it all up to follow him and you'll have to notice too uh, that this love that that she has is expressive I, i mean she's in an awkward situation very socially awkward situation people are looking down on her uh they're calling her a sinner. She knows she's a sinner. It's an awkward situation, but she doesn't care because her Savior is there. She loves her Savior, and she's going to express that love. When she heard he, he was at the house, she couldn't get there fast enough. She's expressing. Her, this is a sign of her true repentance that she is she is now all in with Jesus Christ. And she's expressing that great love uh, for him. And, and she's not holding back in any way, no matter what other people are thinking about her. Her expression of love for her Savior isn't restricted by what other people might think about her. This is what real love for the Lord looks like from a person who knows that they're the sinner that Jesus loved and gave his life for them. It's humble, it's sacrificial. It's expressive. And you got to notice, too, that it's all about Jesus Christ. It's focused on a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's got all of her attention. She's focused on this person. It's not just information for her. Uh, there's been a transformation, and that transformation was brought about by the love of this person jesus christ and so she is expressing her love to him the person it's very personal this expression of love and so we can talk about the greatness of god's love the magnitude of god's love and and what he does but we have to respond appropriately we can marvel at the demonstration of his love we can marvel at the magnitude of god's love But the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, am I responding appropriately? He loves me. Do I love him? That's the the question. And, And like I said at the beginning, I am a Christian because God loves. And I can say that over 45 years, he has never disappointed me. I've disappointed him. I've given him reasons to not love me, but he still loves me. He loves me with a permanent, everlasting love. And I love him more today than ever. If we rightly understand God's love, we will respond with true love for him. And we need to talk about God's love because talking about God's love promotes love love for him and that honors and glorifies him and that is the greatest commandment to love the lord with all your heart soul mind and strength that's what we want to promote that's what we want to see because love is the same as believing we want people to love god they need to we need to make sure that they really understand what god's love is god's love is amazing god's love saves sinners amen amen you can hoot and holler now that would be <laughs> that is the good news let's pray together father we are so thankful that we have a savior who loves us and gave himself up for us and lord we know that this is more than just a, a nice message that we can feel good about this is a message that calls for a response it calls for an examination uh, regarding our own response to the savior and our love for him and so, Lord, we give you great thanks today for your great love for us and the sending of your Son to save sinners like us. And Lord, we pray that your name will be honored and glorified as we proclaim your love uh, throughout this world. For we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.